Hello, Doglos, and thank you very much for joining us. This is the Documenteers Podcast, the podcast about documentaries. And I'm usually the main host. My name is Bob Sham. This month is different because my wife and recurring co-host, Angela, is holding the main reins this month and discussing all LGBTQ-related documentaries to honor Pride Month. I'm actually in transit to an unknown enclave to join up with the podcast Illuminati. The price is steep, but I hope this will get me on the way to podcasting full-time. I had to take everything out of savings and max out some cards, but there's no way this won't pay off. I'm banking these intros ahead of time, so I don't have to worry about them later. By the time you hear this, I'll probably be sipping martinis with Sarah Koenig, or locking the gates with Mark Marin, making all kinds of new friends. This documentary for this episode is quite good. It might just be the most culturally relevant documentary we've done so far. So if for some reason you've never seen the 1990 documentary, Paris is Burning, it's on Netflix and well worth your time. Yes, Angela and Ginger come together to discuss Paris is Burning by Jenny Livingston, and it's a look into drag houses and balls and cultural cornerstones that have actually gone pretty mainstream over the years. And while there is reference to a gut-punching tragedy in this documentary, it's actually very celebrational for the most part, I'm happy to say. Next week on the show may not be as celebrational. I haven't seen this one yet, but I think you can find it on YouTube. And it's about the intersection of religion and homosexuality. I'm preparing for that one to get dark. Jeremy returns and he and Angela discuss For the Bible Tells Me So by Daniel Carslake. And it will close out Angela's main hosting stint. But you will hear her again in August. Just one music credit at the end, Malcolm McLaren's Deep in Vogue. I'll link to the video in the show notes. It features voguing pioneer Willie Ninja. Malcolm McLaren is, of course, the former manager of bands like the Sex Pistols and the New York Dolls. He's also a big time designer. Seriously? Hey, guy, you mind turning that down? I'm trying to record a podcast with Joe here? Oh, seriously? Okay, shit, I guess I gotta go. Documentariespodcast.com. Keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. I, I remember my dad used to say, you have three strikes against you in this world. Like every black man has two. That they're just black and they're male. But you're black and you're a male and you're gay. You're going to have a hard fucking time. And he said, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to be stronger than you ever imagined. done adjusting right mm-hmm. ready to talk i don't need this keyboard to be right here all right so uh hey ginger hey angela how are you i'm good how are you good i'm very excited that we are talking today because we have talked about doing a podcast together we have yes very and different than what we are going to be doing today but still i feel like this is a good maybe test for us yeah i agree to see how that might work and we're also talking about one of my most favorite documentaries in the world today. Paris is Burning. Yep. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Must see and multiple viewings encouraged. Yep. Before we get into the documentary, I kind of want to talk to you about 
what's going on with Bobby. Yeah, I, I need an update. So, and for everybody else listening, just so you know, Bobby has been gone since the end of May. He walked out of the studio, got in a lift, and went to the airport to get on a plane to go to California to become part of the podcast Illuminati. Apparently, this is a group with people like Mark Marin and that girl from Serial and some unknown McElroy brother named Tony. Damn. What about Phoebe Judge? I don't remember if Phoebe Judge was on there. He took the letter with him. So, like, I don't even have any sort of information about where he is or what's happening. He got a letter. He let me read it before he left, but then he took it with him. And so I know nothing. I haven't heard from him very often. You must be frantic. I am. And you know, I've been running around today and he left me a voicemail. So I thought maybe we could just listen to it real quick. Oh yeah, let's check that out. Okay, so let's just see what's going on. Hopefully there's some information here because like I said, I really don't, I really don't know what's going on with him right, right now. So we're just going to play this. Hopefully you guys at home can can hear this uh, through my phone speaker. So we're going to just turn this up. Okay, here we go. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Angela? Well, I am scared now because I don't don't know what that means. I could not understand what he was saying. Did you understand any of that? It sounded I may have heard Illuminati. It may have been spaghetti. He could sound like he was crying. Yes. Um, at one point I thought he said there was a guy, and then I thought he said killed. Oh, oh no. But I don't, I don't know, because I can't understand that, and I... What should we do? I, I don't know. I feel like I should call him back, but I also feel like he's so, it's so important to him that we record this podcast that we should record first, and then maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to get him on the phone. I think that that is the correct order of priorities, yes. Okay, so podcast first. Always podcast Always. first. That, yep. You have that tattooed on you, Eva. Yeah, right? yep. podcast first. Uh-huh. Above all else, we're actually going to redo our wedding vows with that in there that's basically like, I love nothing above you except the podcast. Podcast um, before hose. Podcast, <laughs> yes. Forsaking all others except the podcast. Oh, yeah, yep. We gotta just get into this, I guess. For, I guess for, so, for Bobby. man. Like, oh, it's for Bobby. Bobby. This yep. this episode is for Bobby. Ginger and I have been friends for a long time, and we have talked about the documentary that we're talking about today before. Mm-hmm. We are getting into Paris is Burning, directed by Jenny Livingston. This documentary came out in 1990. When did you first see this documentary, Ginger? I think it was about 2004 or 2005. I was in New York and I was working in a place with um, many young gay men and some transgender women. And the film topic of the film came up one day and I had not seen it. And one of them said, you have to watch it immediately and gave him, gave me his copy to watch. And it was incredible. That's I mean, it's awesome. Super, super important. It's, it's amazing. It's fun. It's everything you want. In yeah. Documentary. Yeah. What about you? 
I only saw it about three years ago for the first time. Brian had moved in with us and we were watching a lot of very early RuPaul's Drag Race because I have always loved drag queens, but for some reason had never watched Drag Race. Bobby and I spent a lot of our relationship not having cable or any. We still don't have cable, but like we have ways to watch television now that we didn't necessarily have access to for a very long time. So it wasn't like I could just turn on the TV when the show came on and watch it. And so we started finding these like old versions, not old versions, but old episodes and started at the beginning. And there were a lot of phrases that I wasn't familiar with. Ooh, like what? You know how RuPaul will say, Shantae, you stay at the end of everything. Like the Shantae, Shantae, Shantae. Shantae, 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 Shantae. Yeah. That totally is in this documentary. She'll say like in the... In the tradition of Paris is burning. And so there were these references to in the tradition of Paris is burning and talking about reading and there's all this, you know, like shade and all these things that they get into in this documentary kind of explaining what these things are, which you kind of pick up what they are, but I had no idea what Paris is burning was. And I don't remember if I asked him or if he asked me if I knew what was up and I obviously didn't. So we watched this together and I was just floored. In my mind, this documentary was a lot longer than an hour and 15 minutes because it meant so much so much to me that it just it feels so dense and there's so many things happening and these stories these people are so interesting and the visuals are so rich and I wish I could go there you know this was like 1987 1989 were the sort of two like dates they threw up beginning and end of this and um, I'm thinking that it hit begun before this and also continued afterwards too but we kind of see like a little slice of time where this was like you know heavily going on we're gonna jump around a little bit because the way this documentary is told you kind of meet a bunch of different people and you go in and out of this ball scene so basically paris is burning is a ball what's a ball gay people men gather together under one roof and decide to have a competition amongst themselves. Ball. A ball is a gathering, an event, and like it's almost like a competition. I went to a ball, I got a trophy, and now everybody wants to know me. Where different houses, which we'll explain in a minute, houses come together and perform, they walk, um, their categories, and essentially it's just a place for the queer community to come together and perform for each other and compete for trophies and recognition and just to be themselves and be creative and be loved. This movie is about the ball circuit and the gay people that's involved in it and how each person's life brought them to this circuit. At the time, it was very difficult to walk down the street And be your genuine self and show who you really were and who you really loved. And this was a place where you were completely 100% accepted. And safe. And safe, yeah. Like you didn't have to worry at all when you were in this ball if anything bad was going to go down. The worst that's going to go down is somebody going to throw some shade. (gasps) What's shade? Oh, that's shady! They throw shade at him. I can't believe it. Shade is... Shade comes from reading. Reading came first. Reading is the real art form of insult. I'm going to cut you down 
but it's like a joking way. It's like mm-hmm. funny. It's like I'm gonna take something about you and like pick you apart. Let me see what you are. Let's see. No paint. Yes, no motherfucking paint, girl. What? She wears more makeup than my mother. They do a really good example of throwing shade where you kind of learn how to do it when you're out in the real world. If it's happening between the gay world and the straight world, it's not really a read. It's more of an insult, a vicious slur fight. See, see, see there go my sister right there. She don't even want to even admit that she my sister. She a bulldog. <laughs> but it's how they develop a sense of how to read. That's my husband right there. <laughs> a queer person is talking to a straight person and maybe the straight person's like putting them down and they get really quick at like responding and throwing that insult back at them or but making them laugh because the whole thing is I mean the goal is like you say something ignorant to me and I'm going to turn it back to you make you realize how ignorant you are but also realize that like I'm smart and you should actually want to know who I am oh yeah then when you get into the queer community or the gay community and it's against each other, well, you're not going to slam the other person for being gay or transgender, but you're going to be like, girl, where'd you get your hair done? Then reading became a developed form where it became shade. Shade is, I don't tell you you're ugly, but I don't have to tell you because you know you're ugly. (laughs) And that's shade. The whole thing about the ball is that when you're looking at these images of this ball, there's like a center section Later, it'll be more like a runway, but it's just kind of a section of the floor that is blocked off and everyone's around that. And then at one end, you've got a table of judges. In some cases, they were holding up like numbers, like you would be judged at any other kind of competition, one through 10, and then tallying up scores. And so, for example, if you were doing military realness, everyone in that category would walk the floor showing off their military clothes and persona and who they were would be in that world and then they would be judged on that and these trophies first of all the biggest trophies i've ever seen some of them taller than us yeah and we're tall too when brian and i were were recording we talked about how short i am i'm not that short you're like a normal height right? i'm like five four he but i'm throwing, sure some of these were like he was six throwing feet shade tall. at you he was reading you all the shade <laughs> They looked like huge bowling trophies to me. Like the kind of trophies my mom and dad had in the 80s, which makes sense. It's like the same time frame when my parents were doing like bowling league stuff. The 80s loved a good trophy. Yeah, they did. I don't know where these trophies came from, who was putting the bill for these trophies. but, But yeah, so you would come to this place, you would prepare. They talked about how some kids would make their clothes. But some kids were like stealing clothes. And I say kids, but I mean anyone in this community. Yeah. That's just kind of a thing I say as I call everyone kids and I don't mean it in a derogatory way. I just mean like this group. Talking a lot about like the young people who were involved, many of them would were homeless and had been kicked out, kicked out of their homes and they would be sleeping on the pier at night but steal an outfit to come to the ball to be themselves and be with their people and then not having meals for the next week or so. The ball was so important that that's where you wanted to be, all you wanted to do. Yeah, and you could be with the members of your house. One of the people we meet early on is... (laughs) I am Pepper LaBeja, the legendary mother of the House of LaBeja. Not the founder. Crystal was the founder. I just rule it now with a soft glove. There's a point in in, in this documentary where where the announcer's going, 
Pepper the Beja. Pepper the Beja. And I've been doing that for days now. You know you have to make room for Pepper la Beja. Pepper la Beja. Pepper la Beja. Give her some walking This Taylor is famous. Pepper la Beja. So is Pepper la Beja. Pepper la Beja is fabulous, whether he is sitting on his couch or in drag. It does not matter. We see. Pepper LaBeja walking down the street towards the ball in his gold outfit, huge gold sleeves, gold hat, sunglasses. She literally dances into the event space and like dances into the room. Everybody's cheering. She does her does her thing. Everybody's going crazy. <laughs> she is a queen. Full royalty. Pepper we talked to throughout this whole thing. Pepper explains to us what a house is. So Pepper is the mother of House Labasia. And what that means is basically Pepper is the matriarch of this group of people that have come together under him or her. A lot of these kids who don't have families, who've been rejected by their families, who are homeless, they can find these new homes. And we still see this today in the drag community. Your mother, your drag mother, is the first person who puts you in drag, usually. A lot of times gives you their last name. And so you still kind of see this tradition of these houses where you've kind of got your like matriarch, your person who takes care of everyone. And every time we're at Pepper's house, there are boys all around And there's one time when Pepper's literally talking about how these kids don't have anywhere to go. And there's this young man in the back just shaking his head like, yes. Yeah. Yes. And it like broke my heart a little bit. But also in that same second, I was so happy that he was there and in that family. And that's what Mm -hmm. it is. It's a family. It is. And in in a competition setting, it's kind of like your team. But ultimately, it is like your family. Everybody takes care of each other. The Sometimes there's a mother and a father mm-hmm. of the house too, but it seems like there's always a mother of the house. And and you're right, they the mother is kind of responsible for taking care of everybody. And then someone else at some point describes a house as like, um, or the houses as like the gay street gangs. Yeah, which I loved. I love that imagery. But they said they don't fight on the street; they fight on the dance yes. floor. Yes, that's where voguing mm-hmm. sort of comes from. Because the thing about voguing. Voguing is the same thing as like taking two knives and cutting each other up, but through a dance form. I don't know exactly when voguing started, but it was thriving in this space. There's a fantastic man named Willie Ninja, who we meet later in the documentary, who, from everything I've looked at, like he really is sort of the father of modern voguing. He doesn't get a lot of the credit that I feel that he should. He taught a lot of people and They don't touch on this in this documentary, but I'm pretty sure that he taught Madonna. But I don't know all the details about this, but I think Madonna stole a lot of things from a lot of people and didn't necessarily give credit where credit was due. Shocking. Right. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure Willie was one of those people who she kind of got what she needed and did her whole Vogue thing. But in this space, they would get out on the dance floor or the walkway And they would vogue at each other. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they would just vogue and that would be their thing. They're walking, they're voguing. But sometimes you would vogue at each other. Yeah, I think someone kind of put it like it was a physical expression of shade. 
against yes. someone. Willie talked about, you know, you, like you put your hand out like it's a compact and like you're 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 beating your own face, right? And I'm like beating my face with blush, shadows or whatever to the music. Then usually I'll turn the compact around to face that person, meaning like almost like my hand is a mirror for them to get a look. Then I'll start doing their face because what they have on their face right now needs a dramatic makeup job. Like the word Vogue literally does come from the magazine Vogue because they were like writhing around on the floor at some points. Writhing's not the right word because you're striking. Yes. But you're like, they were rolling around, like rolling and every time they would turn, there would be another position. I'm moving my arms all over the place, she you is, guys. She's actually voguing, <laughs> she's voguing around the room right now. God, I wish I could vogue. My knees are so bad. I could do the I could do the floor voguing. Maybe we should do a photo shoot of us floor voguing Let's after do this. It. I just thought that part of it was so cool. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is is how these two kind of competitors are dancing over one another, around one another, and it's so beautiful and like and they're just feeding off each other's energy and it's amazing to see. It's it's really it's really awesome. They have a lot of footage of that and it's 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 enjoyable to watch. There were a couple clips of like three and four people. Yeah. And the rule was you can't touch. Right. So you can get and they would get real close to each other, but you're basically I mean, I guess you'd be disqualified if you touched each other. They, they were, were just definitely saying no touching. Like leg like leg swinging over someone's head, like mm-hmm. an inch from their face and like just keep on dancing. It's, it's so cool. And again, I keep bringing this back to Drag Race, but that's sort of like my touchstone for even why I watched this originally, which this is obviously so big and like so important for so many ways. But you still do see that now when you're lip sync battling. People are literally in front of each other, on top of each other, using the other person as a prop. It's just really cool to kind of see that like through line to things that are still happening. They also... Have all these different categories Ginger mentioned. Let's talk about a couple categories. Well, first of all, hold on. The announcer. (laughs) This one same guy seems to be on the mic at 90% of these things. Yeah. At least the ones that are recorded. I'll cut the music. Now I said, I said men's garment. And he is my favorite person. Yeah. I love him so much. At one point he says, let's give everybody a round of applause for nerves. Yes. You have to have a lot of nerve to be up in front of all you motherfuckers. Absolutely. Yeah, he's like, you know, no shade, only fierce, which I loved. So categories. There's a lot of things, right? And then where this comes from real quick, there's Dorian Corey, who I love, love, love during yes. this whole thing. Dorian Corey is a drag queen who has been around for a while. During this, Dorian is putting her face on. We also see her at balls and out and about, but there's a through line of an interview where she's getting her makeup on her face. And I love watching that kind of stuff because I'm so fascinated by the transformation. Yeah. I want to tell you something that I read after watching this about Dorian Corey. What? So this documentary came out in 1990. Dorian unfortunately passed away in 1993. I don't know from what. Yeah. But I do know that when they were cleaning out her house, which I'm assuming is where they were recording, which is what was implied in this article. Because her cat was there in the foreground. They found a mummified man. (gasps) No. And no one knows, like, how she got this mummified man, how long he had been there. How'd she get this mummified man? It's potentially, I mean, it's only three years, four years after this was recorded, right? So there's potentially a dead (gasps) mummified man in that room behind some stuff. 
while she's being interviewed. What if you could see it, like in the background? Like I kind of want to watch it again and be like, minute, where and, is it? Like in Three Minute and Baby, when suppose you can see that like dead right. person in the background. What if you can see it? Ah. <laughs> Let's watch it right now. <laughs> we, we sh- well, we should. But I love Joy and Corey too. Yeah, so she talks about how in the 70s, everybody just wanted like a movie star. Before that, it was showgirls. Yeah, so when she started, it was like one category. Showgirls like rhinestones, feather boas. Did you know that I have always wanted to be a showgirl? Yes. Always. My whole life. I still do. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll make it happen. You should. Yeah, I think I should. I'd be great at it. Yes, you would. That would be, oh, I'd be <laughs> on the front row. I could bedazzle my walker. Yes. And just get out there. <laughs> anyway. So then in the 70s, so I'm assuming Dorian started in the 60s. She'd been doing it for a long time. Yes. And so by the time the 70s came around, everybody wanted like gorgeous movie stars. Liz Taylor. You want to look like Marilyn Monroe. Right. I don't remember the other names she threw out, but like these glamorous ladies, but ladies you know. And then in the 80s, everybody wanted to look a model. Model. Thin. Streamline. Trim. So this is kind of where we get into is everybody wanted to look like a model. And that's very obvious when you're watching this. Even like Ginger mentioned the military category. There's a pretty girl category. That means you must not only have a body, but you must be sexy. Which was fascinating to me because... Pretty Girl specifically is drag queens or transgender women, because we'll meet some of them later and find out that that is who they are. But it was so fascinating to me that they would have them go like straight up to the the stage. Oh, they would have touch their faces. Yeah, and they're in their arms to see how soft they were. Yeah. They had to look from a distance, you know, like a real woman and also feel like one up close mm-hmm. too. That was, yeah, that was really interesting. And so that gets into like the whole... Obviously, realness as well, like Ginger was talking about, as you should think this is an actual woman, which, I mean, some of these women are women because that's who they are. High fashion. Town and country, exclusively done. Executive realness. Get into their suits, I said. The well-dressed men of the 80s, get into the suits and get into the pumps were two of my favorite ones. So high fashion is very much that model, but talk about executive realness because... Executive realness is for people who want to appear to be an executive, who can't be one in real life, so they dress up as this executive character on the runway, on the floor, impeccably dressed men in three-piece suits and with their briefcases just looking like sharp and, you know, confident in their executive outfits they kind of go on to say that they can't be this in real life they don't have that kind of opportunity so they're trying to show us that they can be that that they are that they can be that and that if just given the chance they could be that anywhere that's a real undercurrent i think that they talk about a lot in this is the idea of this is not something i have so i'm going to show you what it would look like if i did that's like the town and country as well i thought was fascinating there's part where These guys are just all in white. I think this is town and country. They're all in white like suits. Mm -hmm. But there's a table set up and one of them is like pouring champagne for both of them. And they're sort of like play acting rich. Yeah. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. There's like a kind of like an overarching theme of that. Yeah. All these these furs and things. There's a guy in, I think it's just 
realness because he's trying to just say like, I am a man, man. And he has on a fur coat and he gets in a fight with the announcer (gasps) about whether or not it's a woman's coat. are on the right the (laughs) buttons are on the right which i never knew that i never even thought about that whole left right button thing but i guess it is true like i don't know why but ladies buttons are on the left Mm -hmm. men's buttons are on the right who knows why yeah but i've worn lots of like men and women's clothes so yeah i've noticed i've noticed that it's odd super weird but yeah there's like a whole fight about it because that's the other thing too is they take it so very seriously and that's something dorian talks about how it's so weird that there's all these categories And you'll like just make up this category that you want to do, but then all of a sudden there's a ton of rules about it. And it's like, can be sometimes confusing right? as to what you're trying to do. Uh, Also, okay, Miss Cheesecake. That means you must not only have a body, but you must be sexy. Miss Cheesecake is you got to have the body, Mm -hmm. but you also got to be sexy. Yes. And this fierce, gorgeous woman walks out there I think she had on a thong, but it was like a string. It was like a G-string. Pasties in a, in a thong, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Did she even have pasties on? Uh-huh. I, I thought so. I thought it was like bare boobs, but maybe, maybe it was pasties or maybe there were different, maybe there were more than one, but just straight up they're like showing you everything. This is who I am. This is what I am. And just, again, the nerves of that, like just being brave. And feeling comfortable, yeah, in that space to just literally let it all hang out. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It was. Going to school, I thought was the funniest. Going to school, school, elementary, high school, college, not here. Yeah. It was little schoolboys and dressed like schoolboys and schoolgirls mm-hmm. with their books. Yeah, this one kid, like he does like this amazing drop to the floor mm-hmm. just to like open open a notebook and like start flipping through it. Like he's just like physical move to go with it. It's, it's awesome. That's a lot of them. Oh, Banji. Banji. You know, the girls that be on the corner talking about yo man. The boys, it's very much just like realness, realness. Like I'm going to be like a dude's dude. Banji. Looking like the boy that probably robbed you a few minutes before you came to Paris's ball. The girls are my favorite. Angie girl realness. You know, one that can take our little baby brother to school. Because it's sort of like your older sister who's going to drop your kid brother off at school, but also like beat up his fucking bully. Yeah. Badass chicks. And this was a lot of times like just girls doing Banjee. I've always been like super drawn to the Banjee girls because they just have this like toughness to them that I've always wanted. Yeah, like an attitude. Yeah. And... I don't know if they're really like that in real life or not, but if they can put it on, then why can't I? Like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you're, pretty, you're pretty tough. Banji. You're pretty tough. I mean, thanks. Intimidating. I don't, <laughs> I don't know about that, but thank you. But yeah, so those are those are a lot of the, the kind of categories that you get into. Category is Butch Queen first time in drags at a ball. Another one of the people that we meet who makes a lot of their clothes is Kim Pendarvis. And... We meet Kim Pendarvis, like, sewing some clothes. And through Kim, we meet Freddie Pendarvis. Tons of personality. Oh, my God. Freddie, at one point, tells this story about how he went to, is it Roy Rogers? Is that the name of the restaurant (laughs) chain? And he's just telling this whole story about how they went to Roy Rogers's, and you can just go up and get whatever you want, and how you just get your burgers and your fries, and you eat whatever, and they ate, like, $200 worth of food, and then just dashed. Yeah. Okay, to describe, explain mopping. Mopping, you... Go into a store and 
just look for look for whatever you want to see look for whatever mopping stealing he also at one point says i don't talk very much and if you believe that i own that island over there too <laughs> like he just he talks and talks he also makes a plays a big game about how he hasn't walked yet and people keep asking him to walk but he's not going to walk until he's ready to walk and i just love the attitude of that like what are you waiting for but he talks real big so i actually think he could be scared yeah, and and he and we see him also kind of ironing and doing like small chores, I guess, for Kim and sort yeah. of like, <laughs> and he's and he's kind of like throwing shade at Kim for taking an hour to make a tank top mm-hmm. at some point, and but he's um, not making the tank. Top. He's not. <laughs> he's just yeah. He's just ironing the tank top. Oh, I love him. Yeah. There's a part, and I wrote this down. It's like right after we meet Freddie, someone says, "This Taylor is famous." So it's Pepper LaBeja. I just got like chills, like even just yeah. thinking about that because, like you said, like Pepper LaBeja is a queen, An like icon. in every yes, yeah. legendary. legendary. That's the thing; they all want to be legendary. Pepper is legendary. Mm-hmm. Many times over. Yes, there's some guys in the street talking about how like it takes a long time. Like you have to really be there for a while before you're considered legendary, and that's the goal. Like you want people to know who you are. Dorian also at one point says, in a ballroom, you can be anything you want. And I know we've said that a bunch of times, but it just, it's so cool because we meet two women later on who, Venus Extravaganza, Mm -hmm. and then we also meet Octavia. And Extravaganza is a house, right? Yes, House Extravaganza. And that was actually the first time that I ever heard, because I didn't remember this from before, but that's the one time they talk about there being a father. So House Extravaganza has a mother and a father. There's Angie, and I believe the father's name is David. Mm -hmm. They've got this whole family, and Venus is an Extravaganza, and she is such a tiny little gorgeous person. Like, she's this little blonde, blue-eyed petite transgender woman some of them say that we're sick we're crazy and some of them think that we are the most gorgeous special things on earth she talks about how usually when you want to get into a house they they eye you and they say we might want you but you have to walk for us and you have to prove and then you walk and if you get an award then you can be in the house but then she goes but uh like that it wasn't with me I just became an extravaganza. She talks a lot about what she wants. I would like to be a spoiled, rich white girl. (laughs) They get what they want. I don't remember if she said so or if I just got the impression that she came from a religious household, but she knew that her parents would not approve. And she said that she left instead of telling them because she didn't want to hurt them. She didn't want to embarrass them, yeah. Embarrass them, okay, Yeah. yeah. So she was on the street pretty soon after... David found her? David Extravaganza? I think it was Hector. Hector was Hector, the, you're right. Was the originator of the house extravaganza. And he like took her out for like her 15th birthday and bought her a cake or something and just kind of took her under his wing. That little 15-year-old boy. Oh my gosh, and the 13-year-old with him? Yes, I know. Me all in the Harlem. And why are you down here? Where's your mother? Can't get out. I don't have a mother. Everybody has a mother or we wouldn't be here. Where's your mother? She's gone. Where's your father? He's gone too. So who you live with? With a friend. And you too? I live with my mother in the Bronx. They were the cutest, sweetest little gay children just standing on the street being like, 
yeah, yeah, I'm from Harlem. I'm from the Bronx. Like, we just live on the street. Or we don't have any family. You know, one of them did have a mom. Mm -hmm. But it just, after hearing Venus's story about being on the street that young, and then all of a sudden you're, like, looking at these young men. I mean, I know I'm, like, almost 40, and so this is just, like, (laughs) whatever motherly instinct I have that's, you know, I just wanted to scoop them up and, like, feed them and hug them. Like, they were the cutest little things. They're tiny. They look so young and so vulnerable. They act like they know what's up. And in many ways, they probably do. I mean, they've probably seen a lot even at this young age. But yet, they have also found kind of a comfort and home in this gay community. Even at this young age, they can recognize how special that is. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's that's uh, heartwarming to yeah, see. Yeah, absolutely. There's this part where Freddie is like sitting on a pier, I think, and talking. And he has a Betty and Veronica comic sticking out of his pants I in the front. <laughs> it's like Aww. on his stomach, like sticking out of his, his waistband of his pants. It's like this Betty and Veronica comic. And I love it. That's actually when he's giving his I'll walk when I want to walk right. talk. And it's fabulous. I want to follow up on him and see what he's doing now, you know? He is one of the few who's still with us. The article that I was reading kind of went through, you know, a lot of these folks have passed since the making of this. I mean, this is almost 30 years ago. Right. But a lot of these folks have passed. But he is someone who just a few years ago, maybe it was the 25th anniversary, he was like a guest of honor at a screening. So I don't know what he's doing now. And I, I, I would like to look him up as well. He's just so charismatic. Oh, but one thing that kind of stood out to me was Pepper LeBeige was kind of talking about his start or sort of like his experience as a young person. Oh, yeah. And being seen on the street with long hair and women's clothes and his father seeing him and rushing home and telling Pepper's mother and the mother kind of being in denial for a while. And then mm-hmm. at some point... When Pepper got breast, tells about how the mother destroyed his mink coat and like mm-hmm. took took the mink coat out to the backyard and burned it, and just as an example of what the gay community kind of faced in their own families mm-hmm. and why it's so important to have these families within the the gay community and you know these kids now that we see on the street and this whole family community that kind of has popped up around that it's really powerful. Absolutely. I kind of wanted to to touch on that too. And I don't want it to seem, or hopefully no one else who's seen this documentary, and you should watch this documentary if you have not seen this documentary, takes any offense to he or she in some of these cases. Um, If someone's in drag, I always say she. If I know they're transgender, obviously you say that gender. Mm -hmm. Pepper is sort of other to me. Pepper seems to be a man talking in his house, but he obviously also dresses as a woman. He talks about having breasts at one point, but then he also talks about how he would never want a sex change. Right. But that doesn't mean, you know, that he does not identify as a woman, but I don't recall if he ever specifically said, and I know he's the mother of House of Asia, but you can be a man and be the mother. Well, he, he also kind of referred to himself as a mother or a father. Right, kind of both, right? Right, exactly. And when I say other, I just mean sort of like transcendent of having a label, you know? Mm -hmm. Like he seems like everything to me. So that makes sense, mother and father. Mm -hmm. We've met Venus. We also meet Octavia St. Laurent. Gorgeous, gorgeous transgender woman. She walks in the room. She's walking. 
And there's a fan a lot of times at these balls. And she gets right up in front of the fan and the fan is just like blowing her hair and she looks so beautiful. She wins one of the pretty girl contests earlier in the documentary. She just looks beautiful. And the announcer says, The Virginia Slims girl is here. This was not a game for me or fun. This is something that I want to live. She's here in person. She wants to transition. She, she has pictures of models all over her walls. Like she really wants to be... We actually watch her go to a model call. Yeah. Casting call with thousands of other women. And one of the judges, I was so excited. Have you seen Coming to America? Yeah. The daughter of the McDowell's restaurant. Yeah. And Eddie Murphy's love interest was one of the judges. I did I not know her name. I meant, to look, I meant to look it up, but yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's the girl from Coming to America. That's so cool. I didn't yeah. even recognize her. It's yeah. been a long time since I've seen that movie, but I watched it so much when I was younger. That's really cool. That was a moment where I wanted to be like fucking cheers for nerves, you know? Yes. I was so proud of her for going and doing that. And there's also something else they talk about. They don't talk about it, but there's this one guy who keeps asking and they show him in the documentary multiple times. And I was very intrigued by him. It was a man at the model call who kept trying to ask the models how does this square with women's lib? What about, like I asked before, does this square with the women's lib movement? Oh. And I wanted to know more about that, dude. Like, yeah. where did you come from? What are you thinking? Like, yeah, do what we are you know wanting you to somehow? hear? Like, yeah. yeah, it was just, I thought that was pretty interesting that he was maybe almost in protest, but not really. Like, you tell he was a journalist, but he really wanted to be like, are you just glorifying beauty? Like, are ladies okay with this? Like, how's this go with the feminist movement? Like, what's what's up? Do you want to answer him? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. There is a part towards the end where Octavia and Venus are both talking about the things that they want. Mm-hmm. And I know we touched on this, but there's also, I don't remember who is talking about it early on, but there's also another person who talks about as well how it's difficult to see people on the street who have so much. It's hard to look at people who live in big houses and drive fancy cars and have all these clothes and, you know, their kids play with Fisher-Price toys and they can go out to dinner whenever they want. And the unfairness Mm -hmm. of the fact that some people just get to live that and other people don't. I mean, we're, we're okay. You know, like we're lower middle class or maybe middle class, I guess. But we still struggle on a daily basis. And I understand those feelings. When we were younger, we didn't have very much money at all. We could never go anywhere or do anything. And I mean, there were times when lights might get turned out. And like, I didn't grow up with that much. And I had friends who had a lot. And it was always like difficult to kind of square that. And so this is sort of that times like 100. Right. You know, where it's like these kids are on the street and they want all this fashion, beautiful money and opulence. They talk about opulence a lot, Mm -hmm. but they also just want their lives to be easier. Octavia at one point says that she wants to be rich and then she stops herself and she goes, I just want to be comfortable. Yeah. And it just broke my heart. And that's still, I mean, that's an issue all over the world and always has been and hopefully won't always be, but. And the barrier that exists to that is simply the color of your skin or Mm -hmm. your sexual preference or your gender identity or your gender expression, these things that should not be a cause to you not getting what you want in life. Absolutely. And they were feeling that so strong in this moment. 
And that's why the balls were so important Mm -hmm. is because that was the place, like you said, where they could go. And for that night, they could be that. They could be exactly what they want to be. And they have very simple, well, it goes from simple to very extravagant desires. Venus talks about wanting to get her sex change, wanting to move somewhere. I think she says... I can't remember the first place, but she mentions Florida. Like she just wants to go somewhere different and start over and marry a man who loves her Mm -hmm. and have a house. Octavia at one point mentions wanting to adopt children. And they talk about these very sort of grounded dreams. But then in the next second, it's, but I also want to be a model and I want to have my picture taken and I want people to look at me and I want to be famous. And it's these things that, I don't know. I just feel like this movie, it doesn't matter that it was 30 years ago. It's timeless, these hopes and dreams and desires and just wanting to be a better version of yourself. Mm -hmm. But also you just want, if you could just get that opportunity. Right. Like if you could just get the opportunity to be that better version of yourself, you know that you could do it. And also acknowledging the obstacles that you're facing that are are an unfortunate reality. You're right that existed then, exist now, today, Mm -hmm. too. So I want to talk a little bit more about Venus. Venus talks about how she makes money through an escort service. She used to hustle. But she says she doesn't like to do that anymore because she had a really bad experience where she went out with someone who didn't know that she was transgender. And when he found out, he got very violent with her. And she was also scared of AIDS. And she didn't want... She didn't want anything bad to happen, you know? She was trying to kind of get out of that life. But she does talk about how she's, you know, going out with... She has different friends that she goes out with and they'll have dinner and they'll buy her things just because they want her to look nicer, you know? And they'll give her money because they want her to take care of herself. First, she says that... 99% of the time, they don't. Then she stops herself and says... 95% of the time, they don't. Which means it's probably even lower than that, unfortunately. Because again, her goal is getting farther away from that. We also see Octavia at a photo shoot. She's gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yes. And the man, did you notice the man who was taking her photos had a parrot on his back at one point? (laughs) Or some sort of bird? Okay. It was only in it for like one time that it showed him. There was like a bird on his shoulder or on his back while he was taking photos. But she's in this like little bikini, gorgeous woman. And so she's trying to get into the modeling. And so it's just her trying to continue that we do meet a couple of ladies on the beach brooke and carmen extravaganza talking about plastic surgeries that they've had Mm -hmm. and how one of them has had her sex change and then the other one is totally reading her about how her voice is still deep yeah it's like i mean you did but you still have that voice that voice yeah and then we do jump to 1989 in 1989 right after that like year comes up on the screen, immediately we see this voguing ball that's very fancy. There's like a real runway. There's like celebrities in the audience and it's a fundraiser to raise money to support, to fight AIDS, <laughs> to support AIDS. That sounds terrible. It's a, <laughs> ball, it's a ball to raise money to fight AIDS. They start talking about how there's been some drastic changes in two years. We see Willie Ninja again. And he, in 1987, just two years ago, was talking about how he wants to take voguing to the world. He would love to go to Paris. He wants to go to Japan. He wants to travel the world and vogue everywhere. He's teaching classes where he's like teaching women how to model. Mm -hmm. He's doing choreography. He's got this like 
huge, fabulous earring on that he got in Japan. So he has traveled the world at this point. And, you know, I think I remember seeing him on a season of America's Next Top Model. Ooh. Teaching the contestants how to vote or anything. That's amazing. I yeah. bet. He's really kind of taken off. They do talk about how even just in that two years as well, the balls have kind of toned down, which made me really sad. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and obviously, well, I don't know, obviously, I don't know if things like this still happen, like these balls in this way. I kind of wonder the same, the same thing. We need to do some research. Yeah, let's do it. We'll take a field trip. That would be amazing. And then we'll come back and tell you guys all about it. Yeah. This is the sad part. So we kind of start, you know, catching up with people. So Willie's having all this great success. And then we find out that Venus is no longer with us. They interview Angie, who is her mother, mother of house extravaganza. Mm-hmm. Angie said that... The DTs came to me with a picture of her murdered. And they were about to cremate her because nobody had came to um, verify the body and... I was the one that had to give all this information down to her family. Actually, they found her dead after four days, strangled under a bed in a sleazy hotel in New York City. Which is just the most horrible thing. Punches you in the gut. This sweet, sweet girl Mm -hmm. just wanting love and success out of life. And for it to end that way is absolutely heartbreaking. Yes. At this point in my notes, I don't know. I think I stopped writing because that always gets me. That bit about her. Right. My last page of notes says winter sportswear (laughs) and then lip sync at credits. So (laughs) before we talk about this fabulous lip sync, which we didn't really see any lip syncing until the very end. Right. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we skipped over? I had pages and pages of notes because I felt like I just couldn't write fast enough. Me too. Last thing I have on my notes is that Dorian just says. I always had hopes of being a big star. Then I look, as you get older, you you aim a little lower. And you say, well, yeah, you still might make an impression. Everybody wants to leave something behind them. Some impression, some mark up on the world. And I think she did. She left a man. Left a man, modified in her her apartment. I did not know that. That is crazy. There is a fabulous drag queen lip sync at the very end during the credits that just is everything. Make sure you watch all the way through. Yeah, she's uh, jumping all over the place, gyrating everywhere, just giving it everything. One of those queens you want to just be like, here's all my money. (laughs) So I hope that we've done justice to this documentary. I feel like I'm going to (laughs) cry. I feel like I can't even express like how important it is and how instrumental, influential this scene was, this community was. How obviously important it was to the people who were in it. But how even looking back on it now, it's just the kind of place where you wish for everyone that they had a community like this that they could be part of, that they could feel that welcomed. It's hard a lot of times for young kids, especially if you're in the middle of nowhere, not near a big city, don't have access to anyone else who is like you, to find people like this. I think it's easier now with the internet Mm -hmm. than it was at this time. But just having people that you can physically be around and show who you are and be safe, like you said. They talk about at one point how as a gay man walking down the street, you can't be like holding hands with the person that you love. But in there, you can have your arms around them and no one cares. And it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So we don't rate documentaries in a star rating scale. No, ma'am. We rate in Werner Herzog's. I'm going to give it one through five. You're going to give it one through five. 
and then our combined score will be the score for this documentary. Let me go first. Whatever you want. Sure. Um, I think this documentary is brilliant. Obviously, I've spoken about what the importance of it, but just the way that the story is told, I think, is very powerful. You really feel like you know these people. There are characters we didn't even talk about. The gentleman sitting in his living room in the military outfit talking about how the importance of this place, it's huge because it builds your confidence. And when you're there at the ball, you're so confident and you're exactly who you want to be. But then the flip side of that is then you have to go home and convince yourself that that really is who you are. And that's the struggle, is being able to take that into your real life. He touched me a lot. Like there's just all these little people, not little people, but all these little moments with these very specific people that are so beautiful and funny and entertaining and intriguing and sexy. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's literally everything. Um, (laughs) I don't know if Jenny Livingston has done other documentaries, but I want to see them. An interesting thing about her, I, I, one thing I do want to say I was reading that the reason she did this documentary in the first place, she was an NYU film student Mm -hmm. and she came across some people dancing in Washington Square Park and they're evoking and she was intrigued and she walked up and she asked them about it and they told her about the balls. Yeah. And they told her to get in touch with Willie Ninja and he basically kind of like was the connection to her getting in and doing this documentary. Yeah. And then it started out as just like a, a series of like still pictures and she said there's no way this can like be captured with pictures yeah we need we need to do a documentary and that's how this came about that's amazing yeah yeah i don't know if you watched all the credits but we we paid attention to the special thanks and um david byrne oh okay especially thanked also so was our patron saint Werner herzog (gasps) i don't know what those gentlemen did but both of them i was like Fuck yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> like that. And I'm sure there were more people too, but I just know those those stuck out to me because I was already talking a mile a minute about the movie at that point because I just <laughs> yeah. can't hold it in. But yeah, so so Werner even had a little hand in this. It's a five. Yes, queen. 1,000% a five for me. And I'm going to have to agree with you on that and also give it a five. Yes, queen, yes, queen, yes, queen. Yeah! Like you said, it had everything. It's joyful. It's exciting creative touching heartbreaking hilarious inspiring if i didn't already say that mm-hmm. i mean just you just are on a ride and it is fun and you should watch it several times because you won't even get everything the first time yeah so definitely five for me awesome yeah so you take my five and your five what does that make that makes ten Shantae, Shantae, Shantae. I love it. I love this movie so much. I love everything about it. Angel is um, voguing around the room again. I am. I can't even help it. I'm so into voguing right now. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you. It was a pleasure and an honor. Love this film. Love you. I love you too. Yeah. And and I really hope Bobby... uh, Gets home soon. Oh man, I totally forgot about him for a second. Yeah, we gotta bring him back to. <laughs> King, it's not funny. I'm King crying. She's crying. She's not even laughing, you guys. She's crying. <laughs> She's sobbing. It'll what are we okay. gonna do without him? I don't know. We're we're gonna we'll we'll figure it out. Okay. Yeah. Maybe maybe this is 
my podcast now. <gasps> Ooh. I'm I'm raising my eyebrows Switching. up and down for everybody. Like, like a like a vaudevillian, yeah. No, I, I think I might uh I don't know, maybe I have to go to LA and find him. It's getting I'm getting a little nervous. I mean I wouldn't know where to go. Well, like you said, you can always just stay here and just keep the podcast for yourself. Okay, listen. I'm not, I'm not advocating for that because I love Bobby, of course, but I mean we all do, right? Everybody mm-hmm. loves Bob. Okay, I'm going to say this real quick. Podcast Illuminati, if you're listening, please don't hurt my husband and please send him home because I don't know how much longer I can do this without him and I just didn't understand that voicemail, so now I'm a little scared and I'm going to go try to call him right now. Just like, you know, it's kind of like the wrestlers sort of like call out the other wrestler like on the camera, they point with the microphone and say, you know, hey you. Hey you. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of wrestling Listen lately. up. Yeah. Yeah, listen up. Listen up, Podcast Illuminati. Mm-hmm. If you don't send my husband home, I'm coming for you. Ooh. Ooh, that's shady. They throw a shade at him. I can't believe it. Ooh, snap. We're coming for you. Me and all the documenteers. That's right. You got to go through us to get get to him, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it goes. Yeah. 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 Okay, well. <laughs> okay, we're going to say goodbye. Bye. Bye, Ginger. Bye, Angela. Bye, Doc. Gallows hey, hey, everybody. Keep on docking. Uh, what is it like? Uh, record and chill instead yes. of like Netflix and chill? Yes, ma'am. I think you're, are you saying you're going to make the moves on me? Later? Oh, I mean, mm, I don't Ooh. know. My Ooh. husband's apparently gone and. <laughs> yeah, we're. Speaking of him, where is he? So I. Sorry to interrupt. I need to grab everything that's right here. <laughs> I'm out of town. <laughs> See you later. Bye. This has got to be a special tribute to the houses of New La Beja. Extravaganza, Manasseh, Celeron, Omni, Ebony, Dupree. So, this is New York City, and this is what the gay life is about. Right?